Hey there, welcome back to the Aurelius Podcast. I'm Zach Naylor, co-founder and CEO here at Aurelius, and your host for the show. Our guest this time is Brianna Silver. She's the founder and CEO of Silver Consulting, an international research and strategy firm in Chicago. Brianna has a bit of a dual background in that she has both UX and market research experience. She started in UX design and user research, and by chance found herself in situations where she was doing market research later. As she likes to put it, she spends her time with one foot in each world today. We had an informative chat where she broke down some of the common misconceptions about what market research is and the differences between market research and user research or design research. Brianna also shared some personal stories of project successes and failures she's had in presenting new innovative ideas, often based on that research, and things you can take away from her experiences. Brianna and I spoke at length about the importance of doing research. Whether you're a market researcher, a design researcher, or some hybrid like her, we all know it's vital to truly understand the people we're making things for. We built our very own tool, Aurelius, to help anyone doing customer research and collecting feedback. Aurelius helps you tag, group, organize, and search every research note and key insight in one place so you can make awesome products and features. We'd love to hear what you think. You can check it out for a 14-day free trial over at our website, www.aureliuslab.com. That is www.aureliuslab.com. All right, here's our show with Brianna Silver. Welcome to Aurelius Podcast, episode 27 with Brianna Silver. She's the founder and CEO of Silver Consulting, an international research and strategy firm headquartered in Chicago, Illinois, where she helps lead the transformation of your brands and products into the future. Brianna, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Jack. I'm so excited to be here. And we are very glad. We are very glad to have you for sure. you know, I, I will have told people a little bit about the work that you're doing and kind of summary of this episode, but I, I like to lead off and just kind of say, anybody who doesn't know you or maybe have heard of you before this, how could you give them a little bit of background of you know, who you are and, and maybe the work that you're doing now? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I actually am a designer initially by by training. So I, was, I went to the University of Buffalo uh, to gain a BFA in communication design. And I started out in, you know, being more of a graphic designer is what I would say. But what I always got very excited about doing was understanding the message that should be communicated and not as enamored with the process of execution. And so thankfully, I had some wonderful professors in my life who kind of saw this before I saw it for myself. And they highly encouraged that I went to the Institute of Design uh, for a graduate program. So I have a master's of, de- of a master's degree, master's of design methods in, uh, from the Illinois Institute of Technology, Institute of Design. And then after I got my master's degree, what I realized is I, I started working in the professional world, specifically in more of the research field. And I realized that there was some limitations to sort of user experience methods or sort of user, you know, user research, design research, Uh, methods in general. And I just happen to have professional experiences that put me in contact with a lot of diverse uh, 
diverse people. So I was connected with sociologists and market researchers and engineers and all these different people who sort of took a different approach to understanding people. And then I started to dive into really wanting to understand how did they sort of approach that. And so where I kind of evolved from that point was really sort of, and this is where I reside today, is really at this intersection point between design, which is my roots, um, but then market research, which I found to be a great complement to the design field, and then really elevating that to design strategy, uh, which is really what helps me to sort of support organizations to, to really make good on the transformation plans that we create with them. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> awesome. Okay. And so in there, the, the thing that I kind of want to pull out is that, you, you know, you are very much doing research to inform, as you would say, design strategy. Mm -hmm. But you referred to that as market research, and that's a very strong compliment to the work that you're doing. I have to believe that a lot of folks listening to the conversation probably call what they do user research. So, so when you say market research, you know, is there a distinction? And if so, what is that for you? Yeah, I think there is a, I think there is a big distinction between user research and market research. So, you know, from my design roots, and I would say that probably the majority of your listeners, especially that are that are coming from the design field, um, I would say that the general perspective around a market researcher is is pretty biased, um, to put it sort of lightly, if you will. <laughs> um, you know, generally, I would say that user researchers kind of, first of all, they oftentimes are not fully aware that in the market research field, there's both qualitative and quantitative researchers. Um, I would say the average user researcher kind of thinks of market research as, as quant only, um, or, or maybe they think about it as focus groups. But regardless, I would say the sentiment is pretty, pretty biased and, and jaded, if you will, to say, well, you only tell me numbers or, or you, know, you just get people in a room and you do focus groups. And, and it's not very holistic to, to sort of the full range of things that people do. Um, I mentioned in my intro that in sort of my early days of my career, I, I was blessed to really have the opportunity to connect with market researchers and not, I wasn't in situations where I was like surrounded by a bunch of designers, but rather I was surrounded by a bunch of people with cross-functional sort of functions beyond my own, which made me have to really inquire to say, what's the value that you're bringing to this problem-solving equation versus what's that value that I'm bringing? And so as I started to explore that more and really started to get more of a, I would say, an intimate hands-on understanding of market research, all of those negative biases that I really had had ingrained in me, you know, growing up through the design field got busted left and right. And then I started to say, well, gosh, like there's many things that are happening in this field of market research that far exceed anything that's happening in design research right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and this was, I would say a lot of those, those aspects were formed, you know, probably like, like almost 15 years ago now. And like, so for instance, back 15 years ago, at least, you know, from sort of the, the essence of design research that I was coming from, very much the, the the party line was do ethnography, do ethnography in context interviews, you know, and the idea of doing anything remote um, was was pretty poo pooed. And so this really got to a point where where, you know, for instance, in the in the market research field, all of the online communities 
Um, you know, some people call them market research online communities or MROCs. Some people call it online qual. Um, but basically, this whole aspect of, of connecting and, and really engaging a community over a period of a couple days to a couple months on a topic, that was something that was championed by the market research field. And it never came to even be within the purview of the design research field, or at least the communities that I was engaged with for, I would say, five years after the fact I had already started using those methodologies within market research. So mm. basically, once I had those opportunities and I started to see really how how the skills, both in methods as well as sort of the aspect of projectives, which I think is a big plus in market research or sampling, like all these things that we just really don't talk about in the design field. Um, and I started to see what value those could bring to my work. I mean, it was an easy, it was an easy, <laughs> an easy adoption. Please give me, and then, you know, that just helped to, to sort of make me flourish as a, as a practitioner in the field itself. Yeah. Okay. So a whole bunch of things that I want to dive into in more detail for, me, for you there. But uh, the first one in particularly that stuck out in my mind it was your sort of awakening and being exposed to market research and understanding, wow, there's a lot more uh, application here to design than I perhaps realized because you said you had these biases that were busted. I mean, this is interesting to me because uh, particularly in starting a company, um, and, and I've said this before, I've been very open about it. Be, prior to that and prior to having to own marketing, I thought marketing was bullshit. I thought it was a bunch <laughs> of smoke and mirrors and like, you know, rah rah re kind of thing and get people excited and i was always on the product side where i said no you have to have an awesome product you have to have an awesome service that's the thing that makes a great business without realizing right having an actual 360 view of what marketing truly should be and uh and it sounds like you had a, maybe a similar uh, even as you said it like an awakening i would love to hear a little bit more about you know what really opened your eyes to that with respect to market research and how that impacts and applies to design work yeah, no, I'd be happy to share because so there's a couple of things that I think market research really bring bring to the field that is just non-existent in in design in design research. So the first is is a big one, and that is sampling. Mm. So you know, for instance, like when you go to a market research conference, people talk spend a lot of time talking about sampling and basically what do you know what defines your consumers? How, who do you want to talk to? What are the things that, um, you know, like really getting down to the minutia of like what defines these people. Also, um, really being cognizant around what are some sampling biases that you that that are inherent to the study that you're trying to do. You know, whether those are right or wrong, it's just sort of acknowledging the fact that they are there. Mm -hmm. In contrast, when you go to a design research conference or user experience conference. And, and what I'll say is, you know, you go to a market research conference and at least I would say 33% of the presentations are about some aspect of participant sampling, okay? Hmm. And whereas in contrast, if you go to, a, go to basically a design research conference, oftentimes there's not a single presentation that's happening about participant sampling and, or biases, right? Okay. And, and, but it goes into a lot and in a lot of like, particularly when user experience departments are starting within organizations, it's, it's perceived to be completely acceptable to just go around and like test your designs on other people who work there. Right. Or, you know, to meet with your, with your family and friends. And so there's just a different level of rigor 
that goes behind deciding who do you talk to and why do you speak to them. The other big thing that uh, is a big difference, I think, is just the breadth of methods that you do have to pull from. So, and that goes back to my earlier comment in the sense that, you know, when when I first entered into the design research field, and I would say it's much broader today, um, but when I first entered into the design research field, it was very much like you've got ethnography. That is your go-to method. Everything it funnels into an ethnography in some form or fashion. Like you literally, and what I used to always hate is you would go in and it would be like, okay, I'm going to go to somebody's house and I'm going to review some designs with them. But because I am sitting at their kitchen table, that is an ethnography and that makes it better for some reason. <laughs> you know, even though you may not even be taking advantage of the fact that you are in context in some meaningful and measurable type of way. Um, whereas I would say that in the market research field, there's just, there's a host of methods. I mean, there's, there's focus groups, there's dyads, there's triads, there's one-on-one -on -one interviews, there's online research communities, uh, you know, there's longitudinal types of studies. I mean, there's all different types and that's just qualitative. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas if you have, then you have quantitative types of studies that can be, you know, just from sort of a, a general descriptive statistics around, you know, attitudes and usage, or, you know, maybe you want to do brand segmentation or, uh, you know, conjoint analysis or something like that. But like, there's just a whole breadth of methods to pull from to then say, okay, how, how do I answer this question? And is qualitative information the best from which to answer it? Or should I be utilizing plant as well? Yeah, this, this, uh, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I appreciate you sharing that story. The, the one thing that kind of comes to mind too, I guess, question that I have then is as you think of market research, particularly, Mm -hmm. What would you say the, the, the primary goal or outcome of market research as an activity is? So, you know, it's interesting because I think where you're trying to drive to is what are the differences between market research and user experience? And this is honestly a question that I have spent my entire career trying to answer. <laughs> and, and I would say that, you know, when I first started, so, you know, I got into sort of this one foot in market research and one foot in user experience or sort of design, however you want to talk about that, um, really organically and almost kind of found my way in that direction unconsciously in some respect. And so I was doing work sort of, act, you know, I, I would say sort of exercising the best practices of both of these disciplines, but was really sort of ill-equipped uh, for the first like 15 years of doing this <laughs> at describing really the value. And I used to constantly have people reach out to me and say, Oh, Brianna, you know, we would love for you to be able to, you know, write an article or give a speech around sort of the, you know, the methods for, for design research compared to market research. And I always struggled to do that because I was like, you know, I mean, it depends on where you're in the funnel of development, but there's lots of market researchers who are working in product development, which is where I was working, right? And so, you know, I would make different statements and then, you know, an hour later, I'd be caveating all the reasons as to why that statement wasn't right. Like, so for instance, you know, people like to say, well, in market research, we capture what people say they do. Versus in user experience, we capture what people actually do. Well, there's lots of market researchers who actually capture what people do too, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, market research, a lot of people will say, well, you know, 
we capture what people will buy versus in user experience, we capture what people will, you know, how people will use a product or service. Well, again, not necessarily true for people who are working in product development and, and they're doing, you know, user testing in some form or fashion outside of a user experience department, uh, which people do. You know, another aspect is people like to say, well, you know, it's broad, you know, market research is more broad insight, whereas user experience tends to be more deep focused insight. I would say that that statement is true when you're looking at sort of quantitative based market research. But I would say in general, it's probably not true when it comes to qualitative based market research, because those tend to be very deep and focused studies as well. Um, you know, the other aspect is people will often say, well, you know, market research uses very large sample sizes, whereas user experience tends to use very small sample sizes. I would say that generally speaking, market researchers do tend to use larger sample sizes comparative to user experience researchers, even in the qualitative vein. But I actually think the way that they tend to use samples is actually one of the things that is a leg up for that profession comparative to user experience, particularly when a user experience department kind of starts to make more strategic inroads within an organization and they stop sort of, you know, I, I think that there's a chasm shift when user experience goes into an organization and initially they are, they are operating on direction being given to them from a strategic lens, you know, from the mm -hmm. C-suite, basically. Mm -hmm. Nobody's really paying too much attention to how that work is being executed, as long as sort of what the outcome is, is, is valued. And you've got the metrics to support that, right? I think there's a huge shift in expectation when a user experience department starts to gain so much value within, within the organization that now they're being looked to by the C-suite to help to support and set strategy for the organization. And when they're being looked to to support set the setting of strategy, now your standard user experience samples of five to eight people to look at a design really doesn't cut it. You know, you go to a CEO and you say, well, five people out of eight really love this. They're going to say, what the hell are you talking about? Right. And whereas, you know, you might still only have a qualitative sample for if that's the better use of sort of if that's the type of input that you need in that particular initiative. But you're still likely to have about 30 people, you know, 30 people compared to five is a big is a big difference to say, hey, 25 out of 30 like this, it's still not statistically relevant, but it's like, hey, we're on to something versus people sort of liked this. So, so that's one of the ways that people try to parse out these differences. And like I said, with lots of caveats, it sort of works, but it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I was asked to contribute to, to a book. Um, and basically when I, when I contributed to this book, I kind of accepted this opportunity sort of scared out of my mind too, because they said, you know, Hey, you know, we're looking to have a chapter in this book where it's market researchers who might be interested in getting into UX. Can you write this? And I said, well, sure. I would love to do that. But, oh my gosh, I don't even know. Like I got to figure this out. Like for once and not once, <laughs> once and for all, I got to sort of lock myself into a, into a room and try to figure out what indeed is the difference between user experience and market research. And really, you know, what came out of that exploration 
And now, you know, this has been a couple years and I would say it still is very tested and, and true. I, I haven't caveated my way out of this. So I think it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward and I'd love to get your feedback here. But I think the true difference between a user experience researcher, design researcher compared to a market researcher has nothing to do with methods, but really it has to do with philosophy and mindset of how you do your work. So for instance, you know, we've got both professions are looking for insight, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. we live and die by the insight in some respects. However, like when you dig underneath that, a user experience researcher sees the value or sort of the role of an insight as a means to the end. And for them, they approach their entire work more from a solution-making perspective. So the insight is really about understanding what is the solution I should be making? What is the solution that I should be advocating for? Whereas in comparison, a market researcher the role of the insight for the most part is the end of their project. They were, they were commissioned to develop understanding. And not to say that they're not trying to drive action off of that insight. I think there is a desire to drive action off of that insight, but they don't necessarily always have the skills to do that. And so that gets to some of the other philosophy and mindset aspects of this. So, you know, if you kind of drill a little deeper here, you've got a project mindset. So a user experience researcher is typically, like I said, very solution minded, very problem solving oriented. I mean, I think, you know, at the core of user experience is sort of design thinking methodologies and user centered design. And that in the both, both, you know, whether you ascribe to one or both, both, both are basically have at, at their foundation the fact that it's all around taking a new approach to problem solving. Yet in comparison, the project mindset for a market researcher is very method focused. Hmm. I mean, one of the things that really irritates the hell out of me when it comes to, to market research, and I mean, I just don't even respond to these things, but there is a huge contingent within the market research space that will literally send out RFPs and say, I need to have five focus groups uh, you know, on these days for two hours. You have no idea what they're doing. You have no idea why they're doing it, you know, to what end they hope to, to get to. And they literally just want you to basically put together you know, a response to say, you know, this is what it costs to do five focus groups with this group of people. Well, to me, you know, coming from the design side, that is like so inefficient. It's like, tell me what you're trying to do, you know, and then I'll tell you and I'll, I'll, we'll have a conversation of whether a focus group in it, for instance, method wise is the right approach, or if maybe we need to think a little bit broader from an approach perspective so that you can yield the results that you're looking for. But I, what I have also found is that just in that dialogue with clients over the years, like even just asking them like things like, well, how are you planning to use this information? Like what types of decisions is this intending to support? And, you know, who's going to be using it? How are they going to be using it? Um, just having some of that dialogue, which doesn't always happen on the market research side, um, having that level of dialogue with people, first of all, it makes them actually think ahead, which some people have, some people haven't. But more times than not, I would say that once you start to ask those questions, 
the foundational needs of the project that we've been called to, to bid on in some form or fashion often starts to change. So I can keep going, um, but this is at least two aspects of sort of the philosophy and the mindset that, that really sort of start to set user experience and market research apart. Yeah. Okay. So this is fascinating. And I don't, you, you were in your explanation, you were answering questions I already were thinking of asking, uh, which was, which was super awesome. I mean, very, very brilliant. Um, but to kind of recap then the, the two for you and the difference between, you know, maybe user research, um, or design research and market research are this, this perhaps erroneous focus on a method. Right. Um, and then the, the kind of like purpose of the data where in one case, maybe as you mentioned, market research is, well, our purpose is to gain the insight. Whereas in your experience, user research, design research, UX research is we gain the insight to give you a recommendation for action. Am I summarizing that fairly? I, you are summarizing that fairly. I will call you out though, because I think you, you, you made a judgment um, which is, again, it's sort of this bias of you know, market research versus user experience because you made the judgment that market researchers are more erroneous to, to go towards the method. And, you know, I don't know that I would, that I would, would say that so harshly mm. because it goes back to, again, sort of the value. I, in, in general, I would say that market researchers approach their research with more rigor than the average user experience researcher out there. Um, you know, if you look at sort of user experience, uh, you know, higher education uh, places out there, and, you know, and I, I teach in one of them, <laughs> um, the, I would say the curriculum when it comes to to the full research experience is not quite as sound um, on a research aspect comparative to other market research, uh, higher ed, uh, academic institutions out there. Um, and so, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, right or wrong or good or bad. It's just a different perspective that people are coming into, into the situation with. And so one of the things that I'm constantly advocating for is I think actually both of these two disciplines have a lot to learn and value and could value from one another. But what oftentimes happens, or at least what I see happen, is that it gets into this territorial war. And it gets into a territorial war because, because of all the things that I talked about in the sense of like, oh, market researchers tell, you know, tell you what people say they're going to do versus, you know, I as a design researcher tell you what people actually do. And the reality is all of that is not true, right? And so, but, but people are trying to draw those lines instead of saying, hey, you know, like, let's take this project mindset, uh, for example, to say, hey, as the designer, I'm really good at helping people to understand what could be like to really help them to step into a solution making space and really say, how do we take this need that we know exists within our consumer set and really blow that out into an experience that, that drives delight for them. And here's five different ways that we might be able to do that. Because one of the other things that a designer is really great at is stepping into that facilitator, interpreter, and sort of advisor role. I mean, that's part of the design, right? Like, 
you know, most designers had to like learn ideation skills, right? Like that's about like facilitating that interpretation of it. And so, whereas like, again, on the market research side, when it comes to saying, hey, you know, for an experience, user experience department that has been elevated into sort of supporting strategy for an organization, just say, you know, we have the opportunity to up-level our rigor here. We have the opportunity to up-level our rigor around the types of methods we use. Um, we have the, up the opportunity to up-level our rigor around even just participant sampling and who we choose to, choose to speak with, how we choose to screen for them, from which places we source them, everything. Um, and I think the other aspect, and this is one of the other things that has this big pet peeve for me um, in, in the user experience space, is I feel like, like, I feel as the user experience discipline has matured over the years, you know, when I, when I stepped into the design field, and, you know, particularly the, at least like sort of the, the foundation or sort of the focus at the IoT Institute of Design when I, when I was getting trained, was basically trying to find the intersection between business and your consumer. So basically looking for the sweet spot of what was desirable, what was viable um, for, from both perspectives and feasible, right? From a technology perspective. So you're looking for that sweet spot. I think every designer listening to this podcast is like, yup, yup, know that framework really well. Um, but one other thing I would say is that as the discipline has matured, I feel more and more user experience professionals have lost sight of the business side of that equation. And they have gone fully into basically, I am the user advocate, you know, to the end, even in spite of profitability for the business. And I think this is a real big miss for the design profession. Um, and this is an opportunity of where I feel at least market research starts to balance it out. Because a big part of market research is to say, what is going on in the broader market? Now, it may not be the same people who are doing qualitative market research, but it's within the, the same house. So, you know, in your average market research uh, departments, you've got competitive intelligence, which often gets into a lot of market sizing type stuff. You've got your quant researchers that are oftentimes supporting that market sizing or sort of looking for, you know, sort of scale of opportunity. Um, and, you know, even as your qualitative researcher is maybe diving into the specifics. But I feel like there, I feel like there's a consistent anchor coming back to say, okay, this is what the users want and need, and that is excellent. We need to keep that front and center. But then, then how do we make sure that this still, you know, is, is, is well in terms of how it might serve the business going forward? Absolutely. This is really juicy stuff. And um, once again, I have to say this was not planted or intended that Brianna has come to this sort of this area of focus that we've talked about before. And I know I'm certainly passionate about of, you know, doing things that are good for not only the people you design for, but the, the people you work with and for, right? And um, yeah, it's absolutely true. And I, and I, I have my, myself been giving this talk recently that's talking about the ability to sell your ideas and, and, the, and the secret there, um, you know, spoiler alert, is, <laughs> is that by understanding what's good for the company and the people you work with and for is just as important as understanding the needs of the people you're creating the product or service for. 
right? And, and, and that's kind of what I hear you saying, particularly out of market research is where that's the opportunity to uh, infuse this maybe missing step in the conversation of how do we get design a seat at the table, quote unquote, right? You and I, I know you've heard this conversation before, and I appreciate the fact that you bring it to light in this respect to say design absolutely garners a certain amount of attention in the maturity of an organization. And when it gets there, what do you decide to do to either break through that glass ceiling uh, or remain at the level of, as you would have said, getting orders from the executive level to helping them decide the things that they should focus on. And it certainly sounds like there's things that we, and, and I say we as a designer, you know, user research, design research profession could borrow from the rigor um, in market research in the way that that field and those people do that to, to gain that higher level of maturity, perhaps in the organizations we work in. Is that fair? It's a hundred percent fair. And I think that that is very much the, you know, the opportunity of when collaboration come, comes into play. Um, but I think the other thing that, you know, just to kind of call out the elephant in the room, which is oftentimes a big deal in the design profession is that there's a lot of ego in the design profession, right? Absolutely so true. 100% true. And <laughs> for those of you who cannot see me, uh, I am basically giving the hallelujah sign to Brianna right now because I have experienced this and called it out and attacked it a number of times. I can't agree anymore. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it really does a disservice because I think, you know, exactly what you said, you know, let's get design a seat at the table. Right. Um, and, but I think a lot of times the designers who are whining that they don't have a seat at the table are the ones that are actually doing themselves a disjustice because to not get to the table. Absolutely. And, and because they go in and they say, I've got it all figured out. Like, I know exactly what your problem is. I know exactly how I'm going to fix it. But it's not sensitive to the culture. And, you know, it's, you, you, you started to bring up something that I think is really important and, and is actually part of, like, our capabilities presentation. Like, if you go to our website, it's right there um, as far as sort of a strength or difference of silver. And that is, you know, we always think about insight actually – from two sides. There's, we think about it as your external insight, which is how most people in our profession are thinking about it. It's like, what do my consumers want and need? And, you know, and how can I better serve them? But we also, and we sort of track simultaneously in the work that we do, uh, you know, discovery processes around internal insight. So what are all the hypotheses, assumptions, biases, history, baggage, whatever you might want to call it, that, that floats around in the heads of the stakeholders that are going to be leveraging the work that, that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's not enough attention, uh, you know, in the user, user experience field, nor honestly the market research field, um, to really pay attention to that, that internal insight. Because it's really once you find the intersection point between the internal insight and the external insight, that you actually find the space to, to facilitate transformation because it's in that space of overlap that people say, okay, it's really where they, they get, they get clear on their willingness and readiness to take a step. Yes. And my, my opinion is that any step is better than no step. 
And so, you know, organizations, some are ready to take a leap. Some of them are ready to take a baby step and everything in between. And, you know, a lot of what they're ready for is, is really, it's charted based on what their history is, either with the topic itself that you're working on or, or just, you know, their, their use of research or, in, or attention to innovation, whatever it may be. But it's very culturally ingrained as far as sort of the level of a step that they are willing to make. But I think oftentimes, you know, consultants like myself kind of come in and they're either all blue sky or sort of very incremental. And I would say one of the things that at least I cherish about our process and specifically that aspect of looking for that dual insight is that we are able to, through the course of working together over the, over the you know, the time span of a project, is find the right space for them to take those steps. So it's kind of like, you know, the Goldilocks metaphor of like, you know, we don't want to go too little, we don't want to go too big, we want to find just the right space where they're going to not only be willing to go there, but commit and have accountability to, to stepping into that space too. Yes, this is, uh, this is wonderful, wonderful insight. The thing that I'm taking a lot of uh, everything you just said, Brianna, particularly is, you know, because you kind of started with the ego thing of which I could not agree more. And here's the challenge. And here's exactly the reason why I've been giving the talk that I, I have and why it's important to me is because we often it doesn't matter who we is in this case could be a design researcher, could be a designer, could be a product person, could be a market researcher, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. is we, you know, as you sort of described, march into the room and say, I have the answer to your question and here's what you should do. But what we lack and what's missing from that equation is an understanding of why what we are recommending is good for the person we're recommending it to. Mm-hmm. And that is so critical. You might have the right answer. You, you, you might have the most excellent recommendation. But if you cannot help somebody see why that's beneficial to them, as you would say, perhaps an inter- internal ex, uh, an internal insight, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like like understanding that to be able to speak to not only why it's good for people outside of your organization, but also you as a person and maybe even individual in the organization, then this work doesn't move forward. And I think part of that, what I heard from you is an understanding of, you know, what tolerance level do they have of hey, here's my recommendation of the swing for the fences grand slam, or here's my recommendation for the most excellent first three baby steps. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, and you know, another component that comes into this and what kind of came through my mind is I think there's also an aspect of delivery and timing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I've had certainly projects in my career where, where the recommendation coming out of it is absolutely where they need to go. But there's such high resistance to stepping into that new future that the first time you tell them, they aren't willing to listen or hear it, right? Like, and they need to, um, they need to sit with it for a while. Like, like I worked with a group, uh, you know, this is several years ago now, but like literally, uh, you know, presented. It was probably one of the worst presentations of my career <laughs> because I knew like there was just lots of things that they weren't ready to hear. And, you know, 
I mean, if they could have, they would have thrown tomatoes at me. Um, but they didn't have the tomatoes. But it was pretty much pretty close to that, you know. Whereas then, like, uh, you know, six months later, almost the exact same presentation was given to the exact same people. And six months later, they're like, this is exactly what we need to do. And it was just they needed to warm up to the idea of it. Um, and, and that's why that kind of brings me to another point, because in that particular project, uh, you know, I always advocate to have people sort of travel the journey with you. Um, and, and there's lots of different ways in which we facilitate that process, depending upon sort of the breadth and scope of a project. Um, but in this particular initiative, the, the sort of the, the client who was paying the bill was like, I don't want that to happen. And it was kind of a federation of, of users. So they all weren't sort of like within the same organization. Um, and I said, you know, I really don't think that that's a great idea given what we're talking about here. And they're like, no, I don't really want to do that. And so, you know, when it came to, to sharing the results, this is more or less the first time they'd ever heard it. And it was fundamentally different from everything they had done. And they hadn't really sort of given their explicit consent to even going down this path, even though that was the path they needed to go down, right? Whereas like in contrast, you know, when we're dealing with, you know, because my organization really works to support the transformation of, of brands into the future. And many of the types of companies that we work with there's lots of things that have shifted underneath them in their organization and their their lands their their market landscape overall. Like they are where they sit in the market landscape, generally speaking, there is something that is that is very much challenging their continued relevancy as they are. So there's a lot of high pressure and a lot of stress with that situation. Um, and there's oftentimes where we have to say, you know, you have to do some fundamental reboot. And so to, to get people to sort of be in that reboot mindset with you or whatever mindset is, it is, regardless whether it's reboot or not, but to get into that mindset with you and be poised to really take action and start to, start to commit to those actions and have, a, and have continued accountability around them. They need to be fully there with you. Mm -hmm. And so when they can travel the journey with you, that helps. And I do believe, you know, like that is a, I, I believe that skill that I bring to the table of sort of supporting that collaborative and iterative work process um, and sort of that facilitation role, I believe that comes from my design roots and is very much different than how most market researchers operate, mm -hmm. you know, side by side with me in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. No, that's huge. And in fact, I mean, I love the, I, I love that you brought up, uh, Hey, this, this was a spectacular disaster and here's how we came out of this. I would love if you, do you have any sh a story to share where you know, maybe a somewhat recent or relevantly recent, uh, example where there was somebody at this pivotal crux uh in decision making where hey this is how business has been for all these years don't touch the sacred cow uh it has to be this way and something that you found perhaps in the recommendations that you are you know preparing to present absolutely butt heads with that sort of situation right 
I because I have to believe that designers, market researchers, anybody listening to this, they're probably working in organizations that believe this is true for them. They mm-hmm. believe that, well, look, this is this is the way business has been forever. You do not touch this thing. It has to stay that way. And perhaps that's not true, right? Because of the work that we do, we have, we've actually shined the light of some dark corner of something that is very indicative of the opposite. I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious, how have you managed that situation um, before? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll tell you an example of, I mean, first of all, I would say that the majority of clients who come to work with us, they they have a willingness to step fully into the process, right? So, so they are challenge, they are traveling that journey with us in that process. I mean, the one example was kind of a was a was an off the wall one, just given sort of the the client dynamic or sort of the organization around it, if you will. Um, but well, actually, let me tell you one from a, I can tell you a couple examples, but let me tell you one where it was more like problematic in this sense. So we were working with an organization. Um, it was in a it was it was basically a technology to support uh, long term care. Uh, it basically tracked things that were happening to to patients or sort of residents of of a nursing home, for instance. And it was a way of sort of tracking what what uh, nurses aides were giving from care perspective, so that it could really they could get reimbursed from a from more more rigorously reimbursed from from a medical insurance perspective. So at any rate, this particular organization was growing like crazy. However, they they did not necessarily have a model of delivery that was truly scalable to the demand of their product. I mean, everybody was was working, you know, night and day. Everybody was exhausted, and yet new customers were coming on, you know, almost daily. Um, and so what had happened is that the design team, um, the product development team, had had recently released a, a brand new, uh, like a brand new version, or actually they wouldn't even called it a version. It was just sort of like a, a point two of a version, if you will, in their mind, right? Um, but they had had a design researcher who had worked pretty extensively to figure out like basically what, what did this product need to do to fully deliver on the success, uh, client success. And they released it, and basically there was a huge outcry from their from their their user group. They were like, "This is horrible! It's a next gen! Like, why you know why didn't you tell us? You didn't set us up for the right right thing." And basically, people were calling up and saying, "I want I, I want out of my contract." Um, and you know, and so then they they called me, and I was like. And they're, you know, and they were so proud because they had had a design researcher and I mean, she was great. Like she, she did good work. It wasn't sort of a craft design researcher. Like she, she knew her stuff. Right. Um, but what had happened is, and so they, they basically said, Hey, you know, we think we've totally missed the mark on what uh, client and customer success means. So we need your help to figure out what does customer success really mean and where did we go wrong? And so that was the frame that we put to it. And I think that that's the first perspective is we put a, a broader frame than the product around it, because I think a lot of times user experience researchers go in with a very narrow uh, aspect of the product, but are not necessarily capturing the context around the product always. And so in this case, it was like, okay, you focused in on the product. You think you did the right thing on the product. 
So the issue is not actually the product more than likely, it's the systems around the product that are not interfacing appropriately with the mm -hmm. product. So we, fo we focus the, the level of inquiry around what, does, what defines customer success. And through a series of workshops, um, some that were internal to our client, others that were more co-creative in nature with, with their clients, we got to an understanding of what does customer success mean? Mm -hmm. And more specifically, we got to the narrowed set of responsibilities that they attach to our client for enabling their success. Whereas like, let's just say our clients were taking on a hundred attributes of success that they were responsible for, for delivering to their clients. Um, whereas their, their actual long-term facility clients were like expecting them to do four of those hundred things, for instance. Right. And so because they were so distributed in their caring of all these different other ancillary attributes of success, they really were not nailing you know, to the T, the, the four or five that they were really, truly responsible for. And what, you know, what it really came down to is not the product itself. The issue was the training um, and the delivery systems around that product. And, and, you know, users can't always say, you know, I have a problem with your training because it's not that they have a problem with your product, right? So that's what they were telling them. But what they really had was problems with the training and the operationalization. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Fun <laughs> buzzword, bingo. Um, but they were having a problem in really integrating that in, into, their, into their business. And so what ultimately came out of that project was not a redesign of the project product itself, but a redesign of the operational processes and the training processes around the product. And then because of that, and we really truly then understood the customer success aspects, is we could also identify and articulate really the trigger events that really required outreach by our client. Mm -hmm. So that meant that we were able to really make them extremely scalable. So now the back, the back, the back side of this is that before the very first workshop of working with this client, um, you know, we basically had, I don't know, about 15, 20 people who were coming to partake in, in the first workshop. And the night before that workshop, about three quarters of the people declined coming to the meeting. Mm. And because they're like, what is this chick going to tell me? She's not a nurse. She's not, you know, she's not a doctor. Like, what is she really going to tell me that's going to be of any value? I've got tons of stuff to do. I'm going to not show up to this. It was so bad that I actually had to call the president of the company that night and say, hey, you know, I know that you are championing this, this project, but your people are not with you on it. So what are you going to do about that, right? And so he basically sent out a note and said, everybody, this is not voluntary. Like it's mandatory. You have to be there tomorrow morning. Mm. But here I am, you know, I've got basically a two day workshop keyed up. There's no way I can start this two day workshop where I plan to start at that morning when half of the people coming into the room don't want to be there. Right. And so I had to improvise. And basically I started the meeting by basically going around the room 
in asking everybody who was there what they feared most about being there that day. And then I went back through all the things that they feared the most about being there. And one by one, I told them how the program that we had charted was going to address that fear. And then for the few handful of ones that I wasn't sort of, I didn't, I didn't have the capability to, to address, mm -hmm. I basically punted over to the president and said, Jim, how are you going to address this fear? And so that aspect of level setting sort of like got everybody on the same page. And then, you know, that first workshop went great. And as we continued through the workshop series, everything went great. Fast forward to the very end, the woman who was sort of like the trigger to having, you know, three quarters of these people, uh, you know, decline coming to the meeting at the very end of that workshop series, she actually came up and hugged me and said that this was the most productive aspect <laughs> she'd ever spent time doing. <laughs> Wonderful. So, you know, I mean, it comes back to that, you know, it comes back to actually what you were saying, Zach, in the sense of like understanding who are these people, right? That you are connecting with where, what are they, what do they have going on beyond, you know, interfacing with you like mm -hmm. what are their fears mm -hmm. what are their anxieties and then how can you with the knowledge set that you have help to alleviate those fears and anxieties in some way and sometimes that's about being careful about the language that you use sometimes it's about understanding you know just what are they willing and able to hear at this moment in time mm -hmm. versus maybe what do they you know what do you need to share in parts and pieces over time so that you can really hear what you need to share later. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, once again, I have to call upon uh, quotes from two very distinguished um, Aurelius podcast alum uh, in both Christina Woodkey and um, uh, Indy Young. So, because part of what you're saying too is is just this, this basic tenant uh, that Christina shared when she was on our show of there's a lot of designers out there. There's a lot of people out there with uh, this empathy for the people they're designing for, but little or none to the people or they work with. <laughs> and that was just, that was just a bombshell. Right. And um, the other thing I kind of want to bring that back to is that, you know, Indy and the work that she does uh, very well known user researcher in our field of user experience design for sure where she talks about this idea of problem space research, not just this very tactically focused thing that I, that I feel like you just described, right? Which yeah. is um, if, I, if, if I were to pull a lesson out of what you shared, again, the work was very good, but it was focused on the solution and improving the solution. And it was, it was almost um, too narrow-sighted perhaps in this particular case where then you came in and said, well, we need to understand like the needs of people in this space and how and actually how the solution perhaps impacts that it's not just yeah. improving that thing because we can we can improve that thing but we may not still solve the larger problem all of this makes uh, a, a ton of sense and there's just insight after insight after insight you share in, in that story and i think that that's i think that that's wonderful i, I and i want to see it's just kind of a sanity check it is is what we're suggesting I guess two things uh, that market research and user research, in fact, share 
quite a lot of overlap and the place where that overlap exists is is in the insight and understanding those people uh, as a means to some end, right? But then the danger maybe we have as user research, design researchers is that we can get too tactically focused on the solution rather than a broader perspective. I think that's right. And I think a big part of, you know, it's interesting because, you know, definitely I come to the user experience field more from what I would say sort of the strategic side. And I feel personally, I'd love to get your perspective on this. I feel like the user experience discipline sort of has two parallel paths, two, two parallel tracks through it that rarely connect with one another. Hmm. And so I feel like there's a strategic track across that cross user experience. And then there's a very tactical sort of evaluative track across user experience. And I think it comes, I think it exists that way because you have like, you know, people like me who really, you know, when I went to school, wasn't even necessarily called user experience research. It was called more like design research or innovation research, but it was very much about systems thinking, right? Like, and in more of this problem, this problem solution space, I always talk about it as like exploratory or opportunity definition types of research, but it's very much around the, along the lines of saying, you know, how can we better, you know, serve this system you know, whether the system is, you know, a series of users or internal, external, whatever it may be, but there's different players or sort of stakeholders of this system. And we're looking at how to humanize the technology to interface seamlessly between these, these, these members of the system, if you will. Yes. Then you've got sort of this evaluative or, or sort of tactical track of user experience, which really grew out of more usability. Um, and and so that in and of itself was very tactical. I mean, the very birth of usability is doing heuristic analysis, right? Like you're not even looking at how does somebody interact with, with a particular technology. You're just saying, you know, are the buttons in the right place? Is there the good contrast between the colors and, you know, everything of that nature. So it's mm -hmm. extremely tactical. Mm -hmm. Now, as we've graduated up and sort of the user experience uh, field over in, in, at large has matured, you know, sort of the role of usability has also matured within that. But still, I feel like you've got, you've got sort of tactical tracks and then you've got, you've got sort of more strategic tracks. And I think that the trend towards design sprints, for instance, within organizations is, is also causing for some of that strata to occur, or it's, yes. it, or at least it's not, it's not helping to close the gap in the strata, if you will, because a lot of times when you're in design sprint, I mean, you don't even have the time to ask the broader question yes. of, of who is, who is this being? I mean, not to say that you can't add that level of, of detail into it, but it requires a lot of pre-planning yes. to do it. And, and for, for organizations who are working on two week sprints or maybe one week sprints, like they don't have that level of planning to go into it. And so literally on Monday morning, they get into a room and they say, what should we design for the new landing page? And nobody has any data to go into that discussion. And so it becomes basically, well, if I were the user, I would like to add this to the landing <laughs> page, right? 
Yeah. And then that's where it kind of gets, you know, we basically come, we, we, we are as a profession with that, we are keeping ourselves down because it's, we're not allowing ourselves to, to rise as sort of the leaders that design actually can play because we're not giving ourselves the time and space to, to really show up best prepared to maximize that time of the design sprint. And I wanna just say, I'm not opposed to design sprints. I just think that many of them could work harder than they do for the organizations that embrace them. This is massive. You're talking at my heartstrings big time here. And um, it's actually very timely too, because our CTO co-founder, Joseph, uh, just recently, I think, tweeted out uh, a criticism of Agile in many ways. Is in some cases, it does more harm than good. I completely agree with you. So as you were saying this, the thing that popped into my head was that on one hand, we have this work that is optimizing the thing that exists. On the other hand, we have work that should be showing opportunity of what could be. And if everything you do fits into a two-week window, that opportunity of what could be does not fit into a two-week window. And yeah. so it's very short-sighted to say we're lean or we're agile or we're this or we're that uh, without taking the proper time, effort, and resources to, to understand the opportunity side, which uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I very much read as market research, design research, even together, absolutely can and should be providing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that is the place for market research and, and user experience really to come together. And I, and I actually advise market researchers who are interested in getting into sort of more of that optimization space. I'm like, don't even go there. Like, there's a whole host of design knowledge that goes into one's ability to make recommendations in that, that as a market researcher, you don't even have the beginnings of to really to provide value. So that mm -hmm. is not the space for, for a market researcher. I think the other thing that kind of came up to, for me when you were talking about sort of those two spaces, which is another thing that I think the industry at large needs to think about a little bit, um, is sort of the in-between space. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, as I talk to a lot of, you know, potential employers, because uh, I get tapped often to say, you know, who should we hire for this or what, what should we be looking into for this type of skill set by different people. And one of the, one of the, I would say often criticisms I hear of designers is that everybody wants to get into this, you know, basically the linear, like discover and create solutions and like literally goes through sort of this, this, what is perceived to be a linear design research process. Um, you know, we know that it's iterative and it's not quite as linear as it looks on paper, but, but at any rate, oftentimes I think that, the, I think there's a gray space basically in mm -hmm. between sort of needing to look for like the next, the next future thing, which does require a lot of deep thought and sort of the rigor and sort of some time and space to, to play within that because you're, you're potentially changing what already exists. You're fundamentally going against systems that exist, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then I think like, you know, particularly like in a lot of organizations where product managers and user experience researchers, for instance, need to work together, the product managers know a lot about their product. <laughs> they know a lot about what people, you know, need. They know a lot about what people are using and what they're not using. Um, and then that's where I think there's an opportunity to almost create this hybrid of like stepping into saying, okay, why don't we start with the solution 
and basically ideate what the potential solution is based on what you know, and then get in this iterative test and learn process to figure out if that solution still makes sense. But let's not go into a three-month discovery process to get to the same technically perspective of where you think you are, because I think that, that serves to create that tension that oftentimes exists between particularly sort of marketing product management and user experience within organizations because they feel like anytime they get user experience involved, mm -hmm. it becomes like a three month sort of, you know, on hold process. And so either you've got everything happening in a week or everything feels like it's happening in, in like a stone age. Yeah. And I think that there is, I think there's a, a happy medium to be struck that I don't see a lot of organizations really stepping into. No question. I, and, and in fact, I mean, this, this speaks a lot to me personally because I believe uh, when I work with teams, uh, particularly now at this point in my sort of experience and career, uh, what I usually tell people is that you don't, you don't bring me on or you don't uh, ask me to help you with your team or your company to design a thing. There are people who, uh, who are as or more qualified to make that thing than I am. What I usually focus on helping people do is making sure they're working on the right thing. And, and that to me speaks to that gray area in between where, again, it's, it's just this gap that exists between optimization and opportunity, which is, you know, if you can have a greater degree of confidence and make better informed decisions on the thing you should do, then all of a sudden that work is, even if it's optimization, it's very quick, right? Because you have yep. confidence, we're optimizing the right thing. But, um, and maybe this is what you were saying, if it is, you know, you know, keep me honest and check me on it. But in the process of that optimization type work and that local and working on the product stuff is you find these opportunities and then UX wants to bubble them up. And then, and then somebody else sees that as blowing scope or adding time to the project or we're not focusing on the right things. Uh, when reality, um, there's, there are these two competing forces that we don't sort of acknowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, my, my, my reaction to that, and this is something else that I help a lot of teams to do is to really articulate, how are you best meant to serve the organization that you're embedded? So, uh, we have a program here that's called uh, inside out team brand transformation, and it's all around basically what is your purpose as a team and it was initially developed for user experience and sort of innovation user-centered design types of departments because you know organizations or sort of departments like this don't have a hundred year history around how to interface with the organization and that's where sort of these territorial you know there, there tends to be these sort of these territorial wars or sort of battles that get that get festered and a big part of it is because there's just a lack of understanding of how do we work together. Yeah. And so, and so when it comes to this question of, you know, do we bubble up these ideas? Like, how do we, you know, how do we position that? I think a big part of that so that it doesn't come across as design ego or your, your blowing scope is that it's understanding and having this very intimate pers perspective on why do you exist as a department within the organization? Like user experience doesn't inherently deserve mm -hmm. to exist in any organization, right? Like no department inherently deserves to exist. I mean, I guess maybe your finance department does, but like, uh, and maybe marketing and sales, but, but user experience in and of itself, I mean, 
for many, many years, this profession did not even exist, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, and there's lots of other people who are saying they can do similar work as user experience or user centered to, to design today. And so you have to get very clear about why do we deserve to exist and how are we best meant to serve? And then based on that definition and sort of what your permission has been, has been granted within the organization, then you have to start playing your cards. So some organizations or some departments, their, their job is to help to deliver strategy to the organization. And so if that is the case and you have been elevated to that position, mm -hmm. now coming out of those optimization efforts and saying, hey, there's a couple things we need to look at. I mean, that's going to be really well perceived, right? Now, let's say you, you, this is a relatively new uh, user experience department and you're still sort of receiving your orders from above, if you will. That level of sort of bubbling up may not be perceived to be great. That doesn't mean that you don't do it. It just means, again, you have to understand who are your internal stakeholders, how is it going to best be received by them, and then start to, to craft a communication plan around your insight. Yeah. You can't just walk into the room and say, I'm the designer who's been doing this. And so, you know, you should just listen to me, which is where right. a lot of the attitude often comes. It, exactly, exactly. And this comes back to that place where I was saying, you know, um, understanding the people you work with and for just as much as the, the customers that you have is equally important because I, I am certain that there are some people listening to this. I'm certain, I will bet money on it, that they've been in a situation where they've made those kind of larger recommendations that somebody saw as blowing scope or pushed it off or whatever. And then that designer, that person threw up their hands and said, oh, well, uh, the people making those, those choices are idiots. They don't understand the work we do. They don't get it. And that's wrong. That's wrong. What has happened is you don't get them. Yeah. You don't get what's important to them to understand why the work you're doing and the things your recommendation uh, are better for them in an outcome in their role and the larger company. Totally agree. Absolutely wonderful. Totally Absolutely wonderful. Okay. So I am quite sure that we can go for probably several more hours <laughs> talking about these things with you, Brianna, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so kind of wrapping up everything that we've talked about, this is uh, uh, a new thing I've started doing at the end of each podcast, but I ask, I ask the folks that we talk with, if I had temporary amnesia, right, and I forgot everything that we talked about, what's the one thing that you feel like folks listening to this chat mm -hmm. should really take away from uh, the topics we covered and discussed? Ooh, that is a great question. I use it in interviews. That's where I got it from. <laughs> I'm going to steal that from my interviews going forward. Um, I would guess I would say is framing is everything. Hmm. And so that gets back to, you know, the, the conversation around internal versus external insight. What are people willing and ready to hear? What type of stuff are they, are they willing and ready to make? Um, so framing is everything in terms of being able to drive impact. Yeah. Wonderful. I like that answer. Framing is everything. Understand, just as we say in design, understand the context of the work and the communications that you're doing. It's very important. Awesome. Okay. 
So is there is there anything that you would like to share with the people listening to this episode that we maybe didn't have a chance to cover in our conversation? Oh, well, you know, definitely if there is anything that anybody here has heard that they would like to have more more conversation about, um, I am very open to to engaging in dialogue with anybody and everybody on these topics. And as you can tell, I'm extremely passionate, <laughs> maybe to, uh, to the point where people are like, okay, enough already, Brianna. Um, but no, seriously, I mean, I really made it my career to really support organizations in, in, in driving impact off of the insight that they get in their work um, and have, you know, a, a, an impressive track record, if I might say, in terms of really supporting organizations to take, to take steps that really do drive fundamental change at even the highest levels of, of, of the executive ranks within organizations. And so, you know, if anybody wants to have further conversation around that, either for their own practice, or if there's people listening here who think, gosh, you know, I'd really like to explore you know, how, how she and her firm may be able to support our organization, I would definitely encourage you to reach out. Um, you can certainly uh, go to our website, which is silverconsulting.com, and that is S-Y-L-V-E-R consulting.com, um, or you could just give us a ring as well, and that is 312-239-0346. Right. Well, that was going to be the next question I asked you is how can people reach out to you if they wanted to chat more or find out about the work that you're doing? So those are two good options that we'll make sure we include in the show notes. Is there anything else, any other way that the folks can get in touch with you or learn more about you, Brianna? Definitely. I mean, I would, I'm very active on LinkedIn. And so I would definitely encourage anybody to, to reach out to me via LinkedIn at Brianna Silver. Again, that's S-Y-L-V-E-R. Um, and certainly start a conversation there. We'd love to be part of the community. Awesome. We will have links to all those ways of contacting Brianna and getting in touch with her to talk about uh, an extended version, perhaps, of the things that we had a, a wonderful chance to chat with her about on this episode. Um, to that end, I just want to say, Brianna, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I, I know that I very much enjoyed this conversation, and I expect everybody listening will have as well. Well, thank you, Zach. I, I also had a blast and, you know, such a such a joy. And certainly if there's anything I can do to further support and help you uh, related to this podcast, uh, definitely let me know. It's a it's a great series that you guys put together. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. And um, and that's great. And so we're going to be pushing this out, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this and we will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to our podcast. And also, you can fill out our podcast survey where you can let us know if someone awesome that we should have on the show and even tell us about the things you would want to hear about, topics that are interesting for you. You can check that out in the show notes or on our website. Thanks for listening to the Aurelius Podcast, the show where we talk with brilliant minds about user research, UX design, and building great products that meet the needs of real people and what you learned about them. Aurelius is a user research and insights tool for design and product teams. Aurelius helps you add, tag, organize, search, and share all of your user research notes and customer feedback insights to figure out what you learned faster and easier than ever before so you can make awesome designs, products, and features. 
Check us out for a free trial at AureliusLab.com. That is A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. Or find us on Twitter at Aurelius. We'll see you next time.